Imagine for a moment that you're in the wilds of Southern Africa. You'd expect to hear birds. Maybe the sound of a steady flowing river and a breeze rustling the leaves of a bush willow growing along its banks. In a secluded area of Mpumalanga, South Africa, all these sounds can be found in abundance, along with some others you might have heard. Some you might not expect. And some you may not even recognize. These are the sounds of activity at the Care for Wild Rhino Sanctuary, the largest rhino orphanage in the world. It's a place where baby rhinos that have been orphaned in the wild are rescued, rehabilitated, and ultimately released. Sadly, the number of rhino coming through their gates has been on a steady increase in lockstep with the growing scourge of rhino poaching. And 2022 is looking set to be the worst year yet. The need for a sanctuary like Care for Wild has never been greater. These not-so-tiny babies in daring whining is triggered by the sight of their caregivers bringing oversized feeding bottles which they're only too happy to empty as rapidly as they can. But Care for Wild is more than just a home for a species under threat and the 200-strong workforce that tends to them in their grounds. The sanctuary is a showcase of sustainability and inclusivity. It's an out-of-the-ordinary example of how responsible investing can make an indelible, positive difference to communities and the planet. Welcome to Future Impact, an Investec-focused radio podcast series that brings you stories of people and organizations contributing to solving South Africa's most pressing sustainability challenges. We're about to take you on a journey into the heart of the South African bushfire the beautiful, lush province of Mpumalanga, with Care for Wild founder Petronel Nivote and her partner Chris De Bruno Austin. We'll delve into the so-called economies of wildlife and Care for Wild's purpose statement. Save rhinos, to save people, to save tomorrow. Care for Wild employees Mangoba Khadebe and Felicia Sibia share their own perspectives and experiences and how they are embracing the opportunities provided by the sanctuary and its investors. As any conservationist worth their salt will tell you, you cannot hope to save any endangered species without the buy-in of the communities who live close to the animals. In plain terms, people have to have more to gain from these animal survival than from their death. I am Sebenzile Ngambole, and this is Investec Future Impact, Episode 2. The Care for Wild story begins with its founder, a passionate conservationist and a seemingly inexhaustible font of positivity. I'm Petronel Nivo, CEO and founder of Care for Wild Rana Sanctuary. And what does Care for Wild Sanctuary do? Care for Wild Sanctuary is basically have a vision of saving and rescuing viable populations of rhinos, black and white, uh, and to be able to put them back into the felt and back to where they belong in the ecosystem with the inclusive model of the community. How did this all start? 
I grew up on a farm and with mom and also with a lot of people working on the lands, also with wildlife. So it didn't start off as Rana, it started off as animals. And that's why the name Care for Wild eventually happened. But it's Care for, Care for many more, Care for Everything. I studied and after that I joined the Endangered Species Protection Unit. Uh, it's a police unit, an investigation unit of the police in South Africa. And uh, I saw the first poaching incident of rhino there and it made a massive impact on me. That impact eventually led to Petronelle establishing Care for Wild. And when she was approached by the Kruger National Park to take in rhino calves orphaned by poaching, her answer was simple. I said, yes, people do not come to South Africa to see a big three or big two saving and rescuing rhinos. It helps us. It helps our nation. It is part of who we are. It's part of our breathing every day. I cannot think of any day without a rhino in it. So the importance of this species, I think we must never underestimate. On an ecological level, the rhino was a keystone species. Its presence in an ecosystem anchors the survival of other species. Rhinos are bulk grazers that prevent overgrowth of the areas that they occupy, allowing other animals to thrive. And as you can imagine, a bulk grazer the size of a rhino produces quite a lot of dung, a byproduct that we will soon find out is also important in the Care for Wild story. The sanctuary recognizes that there is a more fundamental element to their success. It's not possible to save rhinos if we don't think about the local communities and also developing a sustainable model with them. Thinking about their every need, thinking about the poverty they see, the unemployment they have to face. If we here, inside here, or nurturing something, but we're not thinking about the malnutrition on the outside. How will this work? They will not accept it. They will not work for it. They will not accept that it's actually their own heritage. So from the start, from the beginning, we say, let the people come in. Let it be soft fences. The soft fences approach meant including the surrounding communities in the sanctuary's work. The needs of these people have helped shape a purpose and sustainable business model that encompasses several sustainable development goals, other than the obvious one, SDG 15, which is life on land. Care for Wild also significantly contributes to SDG 8, decent work and economic growth, as well as SDG 10 on reducing inequalities. Petronel explains. Firstly, we had to go and we had to see, but who is near us? Who is our neighbours? You then found there's poverty, they're very poor, there's unemployment, you know, there's malnutrition. And then from there on you decide, listen, how can we get involved? How can we help? How can we take hands? And then immediately you say to yourself, youth employment, skills development. Skills development became as much of a cornerstone of Care for Wild as conservation. Through the Youth Employment Service Initiative, also known as the YES program, Care for Wild recruits youngsters from neighboring communities, many of whom now count themselves as among the sanctuary's growing number of 200 employees. Petronelle's work is aided in no small measure by her partner Chris, and among other things, has been a driving force in Care for Wild's youth development program. My name is Christopher Bruno Austin. 
and I'm one of the directors at Care for Wild. And my sphere of influence would be to do work with communities, security, and the commercial farming venture. Care for Wild's embarked upon quite an extensive long-term plan with the communities where we're working with young kids. We're working with the real youth, the young, you know, sort of nine, 10 years old, where we have junior rangers, we have soccer programs, and then we've got the youth, which we recruited 18 to 28 here. All our members that are employed here are recruited from the local communities, and there are a number of them that surround the reserve, and we've been able to do that with the help of Investec. Investec has been a game changer for us in that we've been able to recruit people out of the community, train them, and then give them a chance to learn the skill of farming. And also they do a lot of conservation work. So all the alien invasive plant control, fence maintenance and road construction is all done by the community members, which we recruit from around the, the sanctuary. And everybody that works here has come through the Investec uh, Yes program. A lot of the youth that we recruit haven't had a job and they don't know what they want to do. So our, our basis on the Yes program is not primarily just to teach them how to do alien invasive plants and that. It's to teach them the skills, the life skills, and the employment skills that are required. So they go through a bit of a training program for 12 days where we teach them, and then they work for a year for us doing alien plant control, fencing, and so forth, and farming. But they're learning that skill, but it doesn't mean that they're going to do that forever. A lot of them leave here and go and work on the mines or, or become safety officers. They actually go to what they actually want to do, because here they find themselves. But at least we've given them that chance, and I think that's a critical component. Investing in the youth is an important step in securing the future of Care for Wild and its operations. But a sustainable business model is also vital, especially in a conservation industry that's heavily reliant on revenue from tourism and donor funding, both of which nearly dried up in the last two years. Care for Wild has been running for about 10 years and our income streams are at the moment about 90% donor funded which is not sustainable. When I say not sustainable, with all respect to the donors, if you see what's happened in the world over the last number of years, we've had COVID, we've had Ebola, we've had a whole lot of issues which take tourism away and also funders feel it in their pockets. So we realize that we have to, to ensure that the rhino sanctuary can actually survive into perpetuity. Long after we've gone, we, we need to ensure that we've got long-term income streams. So we are busy developing a whole range of income streams from selling a branded wine, creating jewellery with the communities. If you are enjoying this podcast, look out for other episodes where we explore more about sustainability and responsible investing and discover how the future of investment is already having real-world impacts. Subscribe to Investec Focus Radio Essay wherever you get your podcasts. There is another much larger undertaking that Care for Wild has embarked upon, which we'll look at in more detail later in this episode. While relatively new, the Sanctuary's youth development program is well established and successful. With its focus on wildlife, conservation training is an obvious avenue for young recruits. We spoke to one of the graduates of the YES program who now works as part of Care for Wild's anti poaching unit. <laughs> 
My name is Felicia Sbia. I'm an APU. I'm a ranger. Important side note, APU stands for Anti-Poaching Unit. I started by asking Felicia about her experience on the ranger course. At the training, they did a 40 push-up, 40 sit-up. We did also shuffle kicks, badly run, running, holding the poles and the tire. Then we did our field craft, bushcraft, and water survival, food survival. So it's a lot of physical training. Yeah, too much. <laughs> if you are not fit, eh, you won't fit there. So. Is the training to become a ranger difficult for women? Tell me a bit about uh, that. For women, it's challenging because, you know, you're a lady and there is a lot of men. But it's not that much hard. If you just tell yourself that I will do it, it's fine. How did you get through that? What was the thing that motivated you? Oh, we were motivated for each other. We were six ladies. We were like, um, let's show this man that we can do it. We can beat them. We even challenge them in push-ups, syrup, everything we do. Attention! Let's we are ready to protect and conserve the biodiversity of our environment. This training is on display at a ranger camp where recruits are drilled by a former army professional and where discipline is highlighted as a means of survival. Felicia elaborates on one of the more remarkable aspects, food and water survival training. On the water survival, they will only give you the two liter, maybe for two days. Then if your water gets finished, you must know how to get another water. Maybe you will go near to the river where there is no water. Then you dig deep down, you will get water. Then on the food survival, um, they will give you food for the week. So if you finish the food, you must make plan. Maybe you must get a bed or... A lizard, something to eat. Assuming they make the grade, recruits can apply to join the frontline fight against rhino poaching. It's demanding and dangerous work, but for people like Felicia, it's a calling. What is important is that we are saving our special animals for the future generation to know them, that this is the rhino. Because if we check in at uh, reserve. They killed a lot of rhinos. So for us saving these rhinos, it means a lot. Yeah. And also to have the babies, it means that as careful world we are growing. So it means a lot to us to save these rhinos. Tell us about the community that you live in now and how the people you live with understand and see the importance of, of the work that you do and for them to also play a role. I can say in my community, uh, the young ones, they also want to come and do this thing I'm doing. So they also want to save the rhinos. Most of them, they normally say, tell us when they are recruiting. <laughs> so, so I can say they love also what I'm doing. Yeah, they are proud of me. The tough training and the hard work that Felicia puts in ultimately pays off, not just because she's learned valuable skills and is a contributing member of the Greater Care for Wild effort, but because she's able to pass on the benefits of being a salaried employee. For my family, there is a lot of difference because I have a brother and a sister. They are at Pitora at UT. 
I paid for their registration fee, both of them. So it makes a lot for me and my family. I also buy food with the man that I make here. So for me, it makes a lot. I'm the only person who's working in my house. So it's a lot for me. For many recruits at the sanctuary, the opportunity to get training and employment is a first shot at becoming active economic participants in the wildlife economy. For others though, being brought into the Care for Wild fold was the result of other promising avenues being closed to them. Working at the sanctuary's vegetable garden is a 21-year-old former student from KZN who dropped out of his Bachelor of Accounting Science degree at university because of a lack of funds. He now tends healthy crops under shade net and in cultivation tunnels, learning the art of growing vegetables and seeing firsthand how sustainability benefits the sanctuary and its surrounding communities. I'm Manny Mangobaratebe from KZN, working here as a general worker at Care for Wild. Tell us how long you've been here at Care for Wild. I've been here for almost eight months now. I'm an investigate intern and promising to be a Care for Wild permanent. Tell us a bit what you've learned so far in the eight months that you've been here. In the past eight months, I have learned so much. I have learned about feeding the rhinos and the garden practices and the road maintenance. Everything is included in Care for Wild. We learn about everything. Remember that rhino dung I mentioned? Manny is learning about that too. I'm standing on top of the compost pile. Uh, this compost pile, uh, we get it from the rhino tang. We store the rhino tang here and cover it with the lucerne and the grass to mature the decomposers like the fungus and earthworms. It decompose the green and brown material in the rhino tang for nutrients to give the nutrients um, to the soil through a compost. It turns out that rhino dung is in plentiful supply at the sanctuary and provides a free, renewable resource that they're able to put back into the soil and then grow a variety of crops for the direct benefit of the rhinos and the staff. A bonus when one thinks about the increasing price of fertilizer. This season we have cabbage, tomatoes, beetroot, maize meal, and we have chilies and everything grows using the rhino tank compost. And then the, the garden also then feeds the community? Yes, we take our products to feed the community for free. We do not sell our products here at Care for Wild. We give it to the community and we feed the staffs and also the rhinos likes the butternuts and our products also. So it helps maintain the economic system. A short drive from the sanctuary is that larger enterprise mentioned earlier, an important component in diversifying Care for Wild's revenue and making its business model sustainable. On a 1,500-hectare stretch of land, a commercial farming operation has begun under Chris's guidance. Think of it as 10xing the nursery, with more output, more staff, and more benefit for the community, while still keeping an eye on the need for financial returns and sustainability. 
We're standing on a piece of land that's called Crystal Stream Farm, which is owned by the Lumshio community. It was originally a, a vegetable farm, produced vegetables, and over time it became derelict. Two and a half years ago, we did a deal with the chief. We've got a very good relationship with the chief, and he offered this to Care for Wild in a partnership. So we formed a, a profit venture, a PTY Limited, which is equally owned by the community and by Care for Wild, and we aim to share the profits on an equal basis. So at the moment, the land's leased into the company. They've supplied all their equipment that they had, which is tractor and implements. Care for Wild purchased implements and we put grant funding in, which we raised through our donor base to plant the crops. We've embarked upon long-term crops, for example, the macadamia trees. We put in 12 hectares now, and as funds are, are become available, we, we're increasing the hectares. We aim to get to about 100 hectares of macadamias. We also aim to put citrus into the areas that are cold, and then we plant vegetables. And the vegetables are what we call a way to fill the gap, because there's, you know, your, your max costs you about 25,000 rand a hectare to look after over a year. And we need to employ people and so forth to do that work, and the, and the vegetables help carry that gap. What have been the expectations, for example, from the chiefs? They've made the land available for this work to then take place. What, what does that relationship look like in terms of um, investments that, that's coming from the royal household? The secret is not to go in and promise things which you can't meet and build expectations which are unachievable. With the community, the things that we focused on was that we want to grow crops. The profits from Careful Wildside will be used to fund the op operational costs of the Greater Rhino Sanctuary that we're in the process of developing. And the community share will go into a non-profit, which is then used within the community structures for whatever the requirements are. And that's decided upon by the community. And it's not a token thing. This is a successful venture. This business is here to, to make a profit at the end of the day, because the communities want profits as much as Careful Wild that requires profits to fund what we're doing. But on top of that, they'll work a long way to helping food security here. Like any good investor, Chris is keeping an eye on long-term sustainability, but is also already seeing success for the farm and benefits for the community. Our vegetables are harvested. The first grade and second grade vegetables are sold to a pack house, which uh, packs for some of the largest supermarkets in the country. We also sell to the supermarkets uh, things like our spinach, and cabbage, we harvest and we merchandise. We put it straight onto the shelf. The balance of the vegetables are sold to the communities. So the communities buy those vegetables. And it's great to see the community entrepreneurs buying vegetables from us and then reselling them into the community. And they're buying the vegetables from their own community farm, not from some commercial farmer. And then we've run a very successful feeding scheme where through COVID, We've at times supplied 2,500 households with vegetables. So we pack a pack of vegetables up. We find a funder that'll buy those vegetables from the farm. And, and remember, it's not care for wild. It's the community. It's the chief. This land is feeding the needy, the gawkos and the orphan homes. And as this thing grows, that's what we'll do. We'll keep supplying the communities. And like Petronel, Chris realizes the absolute necessity of including the community in a venture of this nature. I don't believe that you can be successful in the future in conservation anywhere in the world, whether it's Africa, India, Southeast Asia, if you don't include communities. Because the communities are the secret to ensuring that your conservation projects work. Without the communities, 
you're on a road to nowhere, mm-hmm. I believe. The communities need to be, take ownership and run this whole thing in the long term. You know, when you've got a, a warden or a whatever, they need to go through the process and not tokenism, not just appoint them because they're the community member. They must earn their place. But then you've got a success. That's successful in the long term. How do you cultivate, I suppose, that sense of ownership as well, of the community and the heritage and all of it? You can only change the world if you can change the, the way the youth see and if you give them hope. And if you link what they see here to the sanctuary, that's a long-term success. So those kids that are growing up as junior rangers or playing soccer or working here or have worked there and are still working there, they're the ones that are going to say to the elders, don't do this, it's not good to poach rhino. Why are you eating this meat that was snared? So I think that there's a massive opportunity in South Africa if we can harness the youth and give them the right skills and the right guidance and management And of course, the funding, you can change where we are at the moment in South Africa. I see a lot of potential going forward. You know, gold mines and copper mines and whatever, platinum mines, they run out at one point. They disappear. And all the money that they made, if it hasn't been correctly invested, then they've got nothing. I said to our community, our chief, that what they've got here is a gold mine. That'll never run out because that... If you look after that reserve and you have the wildlife in it and you grow the agriculture properly and you have a thousand hectares of macadamias and a thousand hectares of citrus, that's generating hundreds of millions, far better than any mining operation which buggers up the earth and digs up everything and in 10 or 20 years is closed down and the mess is, is left and all the money has been spent to wherever it's gone. There's opportunity here. I first thought we're saving rhinos. Then I realized the absolute amazing opportunities there is. The day is too short for me. I cannot wait to wake up in the morning to hear a new plan of what can we do about the environment? What can we do about social skills development? How do we do this in a good governance? What can we try? You know, around every sustainable model and strategy, there's opportunities, there's skills development, there's education, there's avenues that we can just carry on with. Uh, a sustainable model is not anymore a tick box or something on a checklist. It's a reality. I hope the youth see their future through my eyes, and I believe thoroughly and completely that it will be great. Thanks for listening to this episode of Investec Focus Radio's Future Impact. In our next episode, we unpack the topic of green bonds. We're definitely going to see a lot more focus on impact rather than just saying, how much am I lending and what's my return going to be in a typical traditional financial sense. Those things need to change and we need to see this more impact-driven approach. We find out what they are and how they work and we travel to the small northern Cape town of Katu to see how green bonds are uplifting the local community and could potentially benefit all of South Africa. If you are not yet subscribed, you can find us by searching for Investec Focus Radio Essay wherever you get your podcasts. Please don't forget to rate us if you've enjoyed this conversation. Until next time, cheers from me, Sebenzile Kambule, and the Focus Radio team.
The views expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily represent the views of the firm and should not be taken as advice or recommendations. Investec Bank Limited, an authorized financial services provider and registered credit provider.